0: This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your
1: seat today welcome to the Rocketship podcast i'm michael saka
2: and I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with JD Grafham from Simple Focus. Uh, it's a, a client services company that's also acquired a handful of products, SaaS products, and he had an interesting outlook on the whole process. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I love talking about selling smaller apps. So you know, his focus was kind of under 250k um, in in yearly revenue. And you know, there's a lot of these out there, but you don't often hear about these acquisitions, how they come together. And so he gave us kind of the the other side of the table, if you will, on what these deals look like. Uh, what did you think?
2: Yeah, he he also shared how he's financing the deals, and you know how he makes it make sense with the current team that he has. And everyone knows how hard it is to start a new SaaS app, and this was a different take on uh acquiring something that's gotten through those first few months of difficulty has some cash flow and just needs a little bit of love to pick the growth back up again. So, this one was great. Let's get into it.
3: If you're if you're going to get into the SaaS business, you know, the the investment is all up front and the reward is all downstream, right? Right. Um well, what you do is um you spend all your time building a SaaS app that you don't know whether or not it's going to take off, and you don't know what kind of traction it is or isn't going to get, or how the markets going to accept it. So it's a big risk to like just build a new SaaS app. I mean, there's lots of reward potentially, but you don't know. And so, um, since Simple Focus is is not really a you know well known agency, we don't you know it's, I, you know I don't have my chip on my shoulder about it or anything, but like. You know we're not we're not we're not web celebrities and we're just you know kind of doing good work here in Memphis you a little office in Portland we're doing our thing but like we can't just send a tweet out and get you know a thousand retweets because we launched something new you know um, that's really good we could do really good work and launch it and could cuss kind of, you know sit there in a vacuum and be because we don't know how to market it either okay um, so what I did was I was like you know what uh, we we do have a successful consulting business that's profitable so let's like Let's see if there's a way around that. And so, when the first opportunity presented itself to buy a SaaS business, that was Pulse, and Pulse had like five, three hundred and fifty customers. It gained ten customers a month. It lost ten customers a month. You know, and it had done that for like three years, basically okay. in, in maintenance mode. And what did Pulse
1: do for for those that aren't that haven't heard of it?
3: Pulse is also kind of a financial app. It's a it's a cash flow management app. Okay, um, but what I saw was like, here's an opportunity to like sort of short circuit that risk with building something and not know know how it's going to be accepted. And so, you know, I, I liked that. That sort of said, you know what, we've got a stable business. The risk here is is in is in finding the cash. And so, if you find the cash, you know, um, you can sort of buy. Getting over that first hurdle of, of growth, you can hit that first milestone of stability in the business.
1: So, had Pulse? Did Pulse have a steady cash flow coming in, even though that they had a high churn?
3: Um, yeah, the churn was um, was higher than it needed to be, but it did. I mean, it was it was remaining flat, which meant mm. it was acquiring um, it was acquiring just as many customers as it was losing through churn. So for three years in maintenance mode, this thing was selling itself well enough through organic SEO to replace all the customers it was losing. So for three years, we have a flat business with nobody paying any attention to it. So I was like, this is a real good opportunity to, you know, um, take over something that's stable. I mean, what could we do to ruin it? You know, it was our first one. I was like, what could we do to screw this up? Not a lot, you know. And um, it started growing just because we started taking better care of the customers and focusing on, you know, fixing some memory leaks. is as simple as that.
2: And Pulse isn't your, your only product. So when you're acquiring multiple different SaaS apps that have these, you know, decent revenue streams, how do you... I see that you minimize the risk by getting a project that's already proven in some way. But how do you scale that out and get capital to fund the gap between you know paying off the initial purchase price
3: that's a that's a great question so banks aren't really open to this traditionally they don't understand software at least traditional banks don't understand like software as a service um they want they want something as an asset that they can like hold in their hands that they know what to do with right the house like a, a car well um what i did is i developed a really good relationship with a banker from back home from north louisiana small town banker you know proverbial high school friend family owns a bank sort of situation and sort of started explaining sas to him and sharing how it works and having him look into things like bare metrics and you know sas metrics and um, you know learn how the business uh, operates and. and Customer acquisition costs, churn. He was learning all the terminology. He started getting excited about it. He said, you know, let's let's do this. So I, you know, was able to, um, rather than, you know, drop my, you know, life savings on these things, what we'd do is we'd borrow against, um, you know, cash in the bank mm-hmm. through a bank, right? So it's kind of guaranteed that way <laughs> to make it easier for the bank to swallow. But um, what you do is you find a multiple for the sales price that's um, that's uh, lower than the, uh, the the term loans uh, length, right so if you if you can buy a SAS app for you know one and a half x annual revenue, that's eighteen months. And if you could get a, if you could get a you know let's call it a a three year term loan on that, your're cash flow positive while you service debt.
2: So how do you find products that are in this place where they're proven to some point, they have some revenue, and they're willing to sell at maybe a lower multiple that makes sense for you to buy it?
3: Um, that That's a good question, too. you got all kinds of good questions. Because it
2: seems like if if they're to the point where they have a few grand in revenue and like things are picking up, uh, maybe it's been flat for a while, but there's hope, it seems like they'd want to hold on to that and grow it to the next level. Or if they were going to sell, they'd want to get a good rate based on the promise.
3: Yeah. See, I'm finding ones where the, 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 the founders have given up hope. They don't want to invest. They're not in a place to, to, to invest in growth. And, and they've, and they've remained flat despite the founders can, you know, um, sort of letting go, so to speak, inability to pay attention to it or whatever. Um, so originally the, the founders of pulse were in an interesting situation because, um, they sort of uh, they were running a little consulting business and built this app and then sort of the consulting business uh, split up. They went separate ways. One guy went into the ministry full time. One guy moved to Chicago and then ended up you know getting a job at a, a big fancy startup in San Francisco making big bucks. And so the little bit of money that this SaaS app was spitting off was being split between the two of them, and uh, they just sort of had their energy focused elsewhere. And, you know, half of this company's revenue isn't really that compelling for an individual. All of it would have been. So, you know, they sort of kicked around the idea of one selling to the other, but, you know, kind of realized that they just really weren't interested in running this business anymore. And I offered them, you know, a buyout where they could just take some cash and put it in the bank all at once rather than putting a little bit each month. Um, They had sort of uh, mentally checked out and um, that you know that it, my case was helped by the fact that there were two of them, and it really was uh wasn 't enough money for them compared or relative to what they were doing elsewhere so one guy you know for him it wasn 't about the money he wanted to be in the ministry full time the other guy had a you know had a sweet gig in San francisco you know director of development or something like that and had a good salary. And so what he was making off of pulse wasn't really making a dent for him. And so they just kind of wanted to like, you know, put some cash in the bank. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, with ballpark, which I bought from Metalab, um, kind of the similar case, uh, they wanted to focus all of their energy on, um, their consulting business, but also this, this SAS app that they built that, that kind of took off and was like kicking major butt called flow. And they wanted to put all their energy behind flow and kind of focus singularly on that. And so, what Andrew wanted to do was was um, sort of uh, free his team up from having to worry about ballparks. So it was more of a distraction uh, than anything. And so, uh, you know, I came in with a fair offer, and um, you know, the rest is history.
1: So in those kind of deals, what is, what's the typical multiple that you're looking at on the, I, I guess it's off the yearly revenue.
3: Yeah, it's going to be off of revenue uh, for a SaaS business because they pretty much, none of, none of the ones I purchased came with a staff or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Just purchasing assets. And, um, you know, I'll speak in general terms about these SaaS apps because, you know, we've got contracts in place so that say do not disclose specifics sure. and all that. But what you're looking at is, like, if you're looking at, like, tech and those kind of multiples, you, you're crazy, you know. Okay. Some, something's worth what the market will bear. And, um, you know, there, there are valuation companies and consultants out there who will, you know, evaluate these things based off of, like, um, you know, what the books say, and, and then there, and then there's like, but then you kind of layer in a little bit of reality, and it's like, well, even though you know, you know, we could evaluate it, it, you know, fifteen or twenty x, it, it really ain't worth that because nobody wants it. Um, the smaller SaaS apps, I'm going to call these. Let's call them the 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 fifty to two hundred thousand dollar range, right? Anything under a quarter million or so. Okay. Um, those types of apps are going to go for 1 to 3x. Okay. Um, Which means, you know, depending on what kind of shape it's in, technical debt-wise, is it growing, is it shrinking, is it flat, you know? I mean, uh, that's that's kind of what they're worth. And the reason is because they're too big for, you know, some individual to come along and mortgage their house against. Mm -hmm. They're too small for... A company that's uh, th- that has the money to pay that, right? So if you've got let's call a half a half a million dollars sitting in a bank somewhere, right? You're not interested in increasing your annual revenue one hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, because if you got half a million bucks, you got enough revenue continually coming in. So. It's, it's an interesting place to be in where, where this size acquisition doesn't happen a lot because they're just – they're kind of hard to get rid of. Interesting. Um, you've got to have a team that's able to take over because they're usually not going to come with staff. You know, um, So you, you've got to have the, the spare cycles because to think of – let's call it $100,000 businesses as profitable. Um, if that's going to be profitable, <laughs> it's going to have one or less employees, Right. And so, what we do at Simple Focus to make it feel profitable is we run it in our spare cycles, right in between client work, and especially if you're going to be servicing debt. So, if you're going to be servicing, let's say, a hundred thousand dollar loan over four years, that's going to be you know twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year to service debt. Um, Your revenues, let's you know, going to be uh, after you service debt, it's going to be seventy. You know, so that's really not profitable if you have to put an employee on that. Mm. Um, and so what, what you really want to do is, is, is have existing resources in place that can absorb that.
2: So when, when you're finding a project like Pulse, how do you come across those? Are you just constantly looking for these products that are maybe neglected a bit or where the founders have been distracted and throwing offers out? Or are they coming to you seeing that you buy up these products?
3: Um, w- well, the answer to that question is, is, is pretty simple. It's not like I'm out there beating the bushes looking for SaaS apps to acquire. Um, Pulse presented itself because I was friends with the founders, and I knew what they had been doing for years and years. And I always joked with them, "Hey, one day I want to buy Pulse from y'all. It looks like an awesome business." And um, you know, they laughed it off and said, Ah, you know, it's actually making money, so you know, it's not cheap." And uh, eventually it, it sort of came to it. So after four or five years of just having a relationship with, with some friends, it turned into an acquisition. Um, with Ballpark, it was a little bit different. Um, I stumbled across Andrew Wilkinson's Medium post on like New Year's Eve um, six months ago uh, because he had tweeted that Ballpark was for sale in case anybody had missed the news. And this was the first I'd heard of it, and I just checked it out, and I instantly remembered Ballpark because at the bottom of the Ballpark homepage it says something like "keep the keep your finger on the pulse of your cash flow" or something like that. So I had uh, you know registered that in my head previously, and was like, "Oh, well, this is like kind of a maybe kind of a competitor to Pulse. I should look into this." And so I reached out to him and asked him what was going on. And found out that it had been. Like for sale for a year, and nobody had bought it, and so I was able to you know negotiate with him to you know uh, get a good price and tell him how good I take care of his customers and make sure that it was in good hands, you know. Um, but see, I didn't know Andrew personally; I just saw his tweet. Um, but since Ballpark, I've had a bunch of people reach out because Ballpark was a, a lot more well known than Paul's in the industry, and so I've had people start to reach out to me and say, "Hey, you know, I know a guy." Or hey, I know some founders who are tired of what they're doing. Um, or hey, would you be interested in this? And so I've had a lot more conversations since Ballpark, and um, actually, by the time this podcast is out, we'll uh, we'll be closed on our next acquisition, which is Pop Survey and, and Temper.io, oh, which yeah. two two sort of um, survey tools. Pop Survey's been around forever. And uh Temper's kind of a newer product, and it's really exciting and growing. It's actually one of those SaaS products for SaaS businesses.
1: Yeah, that's very cool, and it makes sense because Josh is he's Josh Pigford, right? He's going to focus on bare metrics, right? I'd assume. Yeah.
3: So actually, Josh, uh, Josh started focusing on bare metrics a, 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 a long time ago, and uh, had, it wasn't actually part of the deal. So um, his original. Uh, investor or, or partner or, or, uh, or, or whatever his role was. Um, David Hauser, um, was the guy, uh, who, who owned pop survey and temper. It wasn't Josh anymore.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't so even was, know that. Well, <laughs> we'll see, David's kind of like, you know, he just, uh, he just sold grasshopper. So, um, he's sort of, at uh, at a, at a, at a, at a place in life where he's really not interested in maintaining pop survey and temper either. So he wanted to get rid of them because, you know, selling grasshopper was kind of a, a big deal. You, you know, Google it and see that pretty quickly. Um, they were in, making 30 something million dollars a year. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that was a pretty big check. And, you know, he kind of wasn't, wasn't too worried about it. You know, he was like, you know what, I just want to make sure the customers are taken care of. I want to make sure somebody takes this and runs with it. And that's what we did. But Josh is the one who made the introduction because, just got to talking with Josh after signing up for Bear Metrics, and we we're just having a conversation one day on Skype. And he said, You know what? Uh, what you're doing is interesting. You should talk to David. So it was really, I guess, the, the the short answer is just having conversations with people leads to opportunities. You know, we're always open to, or I, I guess I should say, I'm always open to these deals. Um, but it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like I'm creating a, you know, a fund of SaaS businesses. I just happened to have acquired four of them in the last year and a half.
2: So this may, this may be fresh, uh, since you're going through the process now, but earlier you mentioned technical debt. What kind of visibility do you get into these products before you make the deal to know that it's something that, you know, a your team's going to be familiar with and B that there's not a ton of technical debt in there that you'd have to overcome?
3: Well, I mean, the, the, the higher the multiple, the more you want to look into that, right? I mean, um, I've, I've done it sort of three different ways. I mean, the code review we did on Pulse was pretty in-depth because it was the first time we had done something like that. And um, and so we just, you know, uh, I, I don't even think Pulse was on GitHub. I think we just got a, a zip of it or something, the code base, and we just kind of poked at it and got it running locally and said, okay, this is in decent shape. Ballpark from MetaLab, on the other hand, everything was really tight and solid, man. We opened it up, uh, got it off of GitHub. They just sort of said, here here it is, here's your read access. And we pulled it down and looked at it. It was like, wow, this is super clean. Because, you know, MetaLab knows what they're doing. They've been doing this for a while and they got a, a team of really talented people. Um, Pop survey and Temper, you know, I know Josh, and, you know, I, you know, he's the one who built them. And so I trust that they're in, in decent shape, but also I know they're, they're kind of old, so, you know, we just don't know exactly what we're getting into. But on this one, the deal was so good that um, I just kind of wanted to make it move fast, and so um, we've done a lot less discovery on that. But, you know, since I'm not a developer, I kind of rely on the team here at Simple Focus to look at the code and tell me if it's decent or not. Um, you know, and with pulse, you know, they looked at it and said, you know, I, I'd give it a C plus D minus with, with ballpark. They gave it, you know, this is a plus plus and with pop survey and temper, we'll just wait and see as soon as we get our hands on it. It's running. We've looked at it. It's okay. I mean, um, but we haven't really dug in too deep yet.
1: Have you ever had a deal fall apart, uh, during the negotiation?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, fall apart.
1: As it well you you decided not to to move forward with it for one reason or another
3: yeah i mean um so the 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 deal on ballpark was was uh, all a really positive experience, but you know dealing with with someone like like uh like Andrew in metalab was a lot different than dealing with my buddies you know mm-hmm. from, from from the pulse acquisition so uh you know, those were two completely different experiences, and so it was it was more of a negotiation, and there was some back and forth. And sometimes when I got worried that I was, you know, going to lose the the, the deal, we we're just so excited about it, though. It, it stayed really positive and Ended up being a great win win for both sides. And then um, I talked to uh, to Ian Landsman um, uh, about a possible acquisition of one of his little products, and that ended up going nowhere. And it was really mostly because. Um, it just technically wasn't the best fit for our skill set here at Simple Focus. We do mostly Rails development, and um, this product was was PHP. It was on Laravel. and uh, it, it also had to do with um, a lot of a lot of email stuff. And anytime I've ever been frustrated with work, it's mostly been because of email server issues. And so it just wasn't technically something that I was like comfortable with but it's a great product and, and he's gone on and sold it to another crew and stayed a partner. It looks like they're doing great. Um, but that, that conversation kind of, you know, we, st- we got to the point where we're talking numbers and everything and it ended up not going anywhere just because it ended up not being a good fit. Um, I had another deal. Um, at, you know, I'm not gonna say, say with whom because it was kind of kept confidential, but, um, <sighs> Uh, it was a, a much bigger business, bigger than anything we had acquired before, and so just getting the funds together just wasn't going to work out.
1: What are the techniques that founders have used yeah, okay. that make the negotiation easier?
3: So, one of the things that um, that Andrew did with Ballpark when I first reached out to him that made it really easy and kind of raised the level of trust was, um, you know, we sort of. Uh, you know, it's small business talking to small business, you know, and so there wasn't a lot of, oh, you know, we need to sign a confidentiality agreement and blah, blah, blah. It's like more like, hey, we're kind of operating off of each other's reputations. And so let's see as quickly as possible if if we're in the same, if you'll forgive me, ballpark <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as one another. Um, and so uh, like the next day he just invited me, to, you know, after I gave him some general things I want to know, the next day he invited me to um, – Bear metrics which uh answered like 85 percent of the questions i had okay and um he just opened up bare metrics and there it was in fact um all of the revenue and whatnot ended up not being in bare metrics which was which made the deal a little a little awkward um and shaky there for a minute but um it's a it's a great tool. Uh, these tools that do this type of thing, um, First Officer, Chart Mogul, Bear Metrics, they'll kind of um, make it really easy to look at the, the health of a SaaS business. And within five minutes, you can figure out if it's something you're interested in. Um, so so having those metrics handy and having clean books, those are the two biggest things. Um, and and just sort of having a lot of you know trust in one another to, to, to be honest and not BS around, you know, it's like, look, here's what I need. Um, you know, here's what I got. And, uh, do you want to do a deal? And you can know pretty quickly within a day or two if something's going to go somewhere or not. Usually.
2: That's a really cool use of those. That's, uh, that makes it easy for Andrew not having to put together a, a deck or anything for you, just being able to shoot you an invite.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, think about the people that, that I'm buying these, these apps from they're people who've kind of um, moved on to other things to bigger and better things they don't want it to be a distraction and so one of the values I have when I come in to, to acquire something is I'm like look dude I'm gonna make this easy on you you know quick I've done this before um, I know you know how to, how to, how to evaluate something quickly the uh, the due diligence is gonna be really easy and simple you know I need some bookkeeping stuff I need your, I need your SAS metrics and um and I want to look at you know Google Analytics and s- see what all you know domain names you own. That's pretty much it. As long as you've got all the passwords and everything, and everything's not a tangled mess on the books, um, it can be pretty pretty straightforward and simple. So what's the what's the
2: upper limit on this? You're you're going to be at what five projects that you've acquired?
3: This will be four when we finish on Pop Survey and Temper.
2: So you have your, your current team. You can bring in more resources from the banking relationship. Uh, you're using overflow from client work to be able to, to keep these projects going um, and still remain or stay close to profitability. What's the limit on how far that can stretch before your teams really uh, stretch too thin?
3: I think that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it quite yet, honestly. Um, the, the size of the apps makes a big difference. And I guess some of the things that I've learned are at least with the types of apps I've been getting into, which are basically, you know, CRUD apps, when it comes to uh, customer support. Um, I've kind of got this rough number in, that, that generally works. If you've got 500 customers, you're going to get 10 or 20 emails a week, which makes it pretty easy for me as the owner of a company with like 15 people still handle the email, right? And the customers really appreciate seeing, you know, owner in the signature um, when you respond to a customer support email because they're typically owners themselves. I mean, at Ballpark, you know, if you're you know a freelancer or running a, a, you know, a design agency or something like that, or with Pulse, if, you know, you're managing cash flow, so it's you, sort of like owner speaking to owner sort of situation, and that's nice. The, um, the customer support is the biggest challenge because, I mean, we're, we're buying things that, you know, I mean, we're not putting them in maintenance mode, but if we've got to take a month off of product development and focus on client project, we can, because these things run, you know, they're, they they do not have memory leaks, they don't crash. Um, they're not full of bugs. And so if we ever need to focus on client work, we can, but the best part is that, um, you know, the client work is, is, is uh, consistent enough, but also profitable enough. And we're not like, you know, working crazy hours pulling all nighters and burning them in the night oil. So we've actually just kind of scheduled in time every week to work on these products. We just, uh, we just spent two months building out the new feature for Ballpark, um, which was a big, huge enhancement called projects. Um, and I took a, a Rails developer full time and basically the 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 number two guy here at simple focus most of his time and the two of them took two months and built out this huge new feature for ballpark it's kind of a luxury to be able to do that but at the same time it's it's an investment that's going to pay off for us long term and it's going to help the product grow and be better for the customers you know
1: What's the end goal for Simple Focus? Is it to have a suite of SaaS apps um, that, you, that you maintain and grow and build? Um, or is it always to maintain that agency um, style with SaaS as the enhancement?
3: So this is a question I get a lot. I love the client services business. I like working on new challenges. I like working on interesting things. Um, and, 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 and I like changing it up and not... Always necessarily working on just one thing, mm-hmm. I like to bounce around personally, and everybody on the team's a little bit different. So I've got some team members who want to work on one thing all the time. I've got some team members who can't go more than a week working on something before they get. <laughs> and so it's kind of a balancing act, and it's something that I'm doing. I'm being really deliberate about, but I do love client services, so I don't see that going away. Um, the The interesting thing is that um, this. Buying Pulse was um, done deliberately so that Simple Focus could get some practice working on a digital product. Okay. We started out, you know, when I was, you know, working out of the spare bedroom and, 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 I, and I first quit my day job six years ago, um, we started out just doing, you know, websites and stuff. And I always had a passion for usability, user experience, and, and, and product design. Um, but you know, I ran a I ran a web design agency based on those skills, but I always kind of uh, really loved it when an opportunity presented itself to work on something a little more functional. And so, over the last two years, Simple Focus has flipped into a product design company, a, a UI company, and um, incidentally, uh, since we're talking about acquisitions, I did. Acquire another business, which was a, a local web design company here in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, interesting! Called Deluge Studios, and this was done in April of last year. And the reason I bought Deluge was so that Simple Focus could focus exclusively on doing digital product design
4: mm.
3: and have somewhere to uh, to send all the good web regular old web design leads. So the digital marketing stuff, right? So, if somebody needs a marketing site done. Like a CPA or a restaurant, or somebody from Memphis calls or from Portland calls and wants you know um, you know regular website done. Then we've got a business that specializes in that. And now Simple Focus is kind of concentrating on running our own products, of course. But that's you know roughly about a third of our business, and the rest of the time we're doing consulting work for product companies and specifically more and more SaaS businesses. A little bit of e-commerce, but for the most part, not you know your basic marketing websites.
1: Very cool. Yeah, it's a great evolution too, um, and it's great you built up those two tiers. That's not something we always hear about for agencies, but it makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, you know when the when, when that happened, um, I was debating what to do. Like when, when the the other agency owner came to me, I was like, you know, I could absorb this this team into Simple Focus, increase my payroll and overhead. Or I could show up on the first page of Google twice for Memphis Web Design, right? Right. <laughs> um, so what I did is I decided to keep the brands separate, let Simple Focus be the interface team, and let Deluge be the marketing team. Part two, to answer your question about like, what's the long-term strategy here, is this. If, if everything went south and I had to, to close up shop, one of the things that I like about these SaaS businesses is that once the debt's fully serviced, and we're, we're almost there, um, once the debt's fully serviced, I have assets, and I have assets that generate cash flow, and if I had to, if, if everything went south and I had to you know, cut the team significantly or if I had to cut the team entirely at Simple Focus – I still got these apps, and I can still provide for my family because, um, while I'm not a Rails developer full time, uh, you know I, I, I have been around web design long enough, and um, that that I would be able to at least run these businesses profitably out of a spare bedroom if I had to, um, and that's and that's the uh, that's the thing that that makes it um, feel kind of like these apps are their sort of a. a you know, a plan B. Um I hope it never comes to that, but uh, you know, because I want to be able to take care of the the people who put their faith in me to, you know, provide for their families and help provide for their families. But um it is something that that, that I do think about when I'm up late at night and <laughs> worrying about a client uh who, who who may not be renewing their contract or whatever on the consulting side of the business is that this is kind of a security blanket, you know, the cash flow stability. Um Really helps me sleep at night, and I'm keenly aware of cash flow because, you know, one of the apps we run is a cash flow app. So there's that. I mean, that's, that's certainly part of it.
2: Well, that's amazing. It seems like something really great to work towards, and I think that's a good place to end it. So, where can people keep up with you online?
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, JD Rafflem. G-R-A-F-F-A-M. You could just go to simplefocus.com and read about us and all the products that we're into. Great. Thanks so much. I I don't do Snapchat, so don't look for me there. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Well, cool.
1: Thank you so much.
3: Hey, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Matt.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have
3: tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, Rocketship.fm.
1: And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to Rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today.